Hi, this is Stephen Saltzman, and you're listening to Cracking the Code of Spy Movies with Dan and Tom. That's one heck of a birthday present Wallace Ritchie gave himself. Is Laurie good or evil? Can you get away with a car chase with the police as Wallace does? A Russian dancer, really? And what does this movie have to do with A Christmas Carol, Moonraker, and Octopussy? Well, join us as we discuss and give you ten reasons why you should watch The Man Who Knew Too Little. Hi, this is Dan. And Tom. From SpyMovieNavigator.com. And our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Today's movie is a comedy that takes an interesting twist on a Hitchcock classic. It's celebrating its 25th anniversary. Yeah, and in 1997, director John Emile directed the movie The Man Who Knew Too Little. And it's based on Robert Farrar's book, Watch That Man. In fact, there's a line in the movie where an assassin tells his henchman to watch that man. Yeah, kind of cool. in homage to the book title. I love when they do stuff like that. Yeah, I do too. Now, I don't know for sure this title, The Man Who Knew Too Little. Obviously, it's a play on The Man Who Knew Too Much, Mm -hmm. the Alfred Hitchcock movies. But there was a Washington Post article two years before the release of this movie with that same title. But it was a review of two books on Barry Goldwater. (laughs) This movie has nothing to do about that. But I wonder if somebody involved in the marketing or whoever sets the title for this saw that headline and that brought it to the forefront for them to use The Man Who Knew Too Little as the title. Yeah, and I think there was an Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode entitled this as well. I think it was in Season 4, Episode 18, and but I'm not sure. Uh, it's hard to say where they got the title, but I'm guessing it's the Hitchcock title and a play on that yeah. and a spoof on that. But what the heck. Yeah, well, it's definitely a, it's definitely a play on The Man Who Knew Too Much, but... You know, we've got a couple examples of The Man Who Knew Too Little being used. Which one did they borrow from? So this movie title's obviously a takeoff of The the Man Who Knew Too Much. Yeah. That's the one Hitchcock did twice. He did it in 1934, (laughs) and he redid it in 1956. Yeah. We've got some podcast episodes on that movie. Yep. But we've said that we like the parts of the 1934 one better than the remake. Yeah. Yeah, so, there were parts in the, in the 34 version that we liked better. And Hitchcock said the 34 version was made by an amateur, the 56 version made by a professional. He, of course, he did them both. But there are parts in the 1934 version. And we had the episode we did we did with Bill Koenig of the Spy Command, too. That was a really fun episode. Take a listen to that. Okay, so we've got the man who knew too much tie-in here. And there's also a little bit of Inspector Clouseau, I think, thrown in for good measure. There is a little slapstick, bordering slapstick stuff. and Well, and kind of bumbling and somehow getting through things. Yeah, definitely bumbling and getting through things. And we'll see as we go along how well Bill, Bill Murray does. Yeah, so this movie stars Bill Murray as a guy named Wallace Ritchie. Yeah. Um, P- Peter Gallagher plays his brother James. Mm-hmm. Joanne Wally plays uh, Laurie. Alfred Molina plays a character called Boris the Butcher. I like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a good one. You've got Richard Wilson did a great job playing Sir Roger Dagenhurst. Uh-huh. Um, John Standing played Gilbert Embleton. It's got a good cast here, and some of them have a good British lineage in terms of British, British television and British yeah. movies. In a lot of cases, like the um, Richard Wilson playing the staid politician 
or staid statesman. So it's got a really good cast here. Yeah, it really does. The basic premise of both Hitchcock movies, of course, is that an assassination plot against a diplomat is looming. A child of a foreign couple is kidnapped, and the child's parents must work with or around a government agency to try to find the child. The parents become spies while working with a spy agency. It's important to know that the parents don't necessarily know what they're doing. Of course, they're not spies. However, they know what the goal is. Namely, they must get their child back. But that goal changes because what they end up needing to do is to stop an assassination of a diplomat, all while trying to get their child back. Now, The Man Who Knew Too Little is a comedy that also uses a normal, if a bit naive, American citizen on vacation in London. Here, he is Wallace Ritchie, again, played by Bill Murray, but as in The Man Who Knew Too Much, the bad guys are trying to assassinate a diplomat to stop a treaty from being signed. And the guys running the plot are the heads of British and Russian intelligence. How weird is that? And I love those guys because this British and Russian intelligence guys, they're trying to bring the Cold War back. So they yeah. want this treaty signing to f not happen because yeah. they want a Cold War again. What a premise that's how for they, a movie. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's you know it's a comedy, so that's, that's what it that's is. That's a spoof right there. And that's good. Yeah, and, and in keeping with the comedy here, this Wallace character has no idea what's happening around him. He came to England unannounced on his birthday to drop in on his brother James. Yeah. Well, since he was unannounced, James had something important that night. He was hosting an important business dinner with some Germans, so he sends Wallace to an an immersive theater experience. Yeah, keep him busy for the night because. He didn't want him yeah, there. Yeah, keep him busy. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. He did not want Wallace at this at this dinner. He wouldn't fit in. So, yeah. So Wallace thinks he's going to an immersive theater experience. He had been an actor, but when he got on stage, he couldn't remember his lines. In immersive theater, you don't need to know any lines. You're the audience member, and you're going to interact with the, with who's on stage. Mm -hmm. Now, the most important suspension of disbelief we as the viewer need is that Wallace has to believe 100% that he's doing this immersive theater thing. Yes. And he does. He has no idea of what's really happening. He yeah. thinks he's part of a play. Yeah. And this happens all the way to the end of the movie. Even after the big climax happens, it's, it's a great it's, he, it still keeps going. So... He mistakenly ends up in a bad situation, but he buys into this premise because he thinks he's in a play. Yeah. And the other thing that has to happen 100% is that the bad guys have to think that Wallace is some sort of super spy because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's breaking all the rules. Yeah. But, but things happen to fall in these, place for him. <laughs> as, yeah, as exactly. Yeah. And so both of these ideas have to be believed by each side. Yes. Wallace has to believe 100% he's in this immersive theater, and the bad guys have to 100% think Wallace is some kind of a super spy. Yes. If there's, those two things don't happen, this doesn't work. Yeah, there's your foundation for the movie. So it, this kind of reminds me of the opening lines of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol, ah. where he says, Marley was dead to begin with. Yes. There is no doubt whatever about that. And then a few sentences later, Dickens writes, you will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. 
This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. I always liked that phrase, dead as a doornail. I read all the Charles Dickens stuff, because I actually have his autograph. And I didn't get it in person, though. <laughs> <laughs> really, Dan? <laughs> yeah, really. But that phrase, dead as a doornail, people think it came from Charles Dickens. It didn't. It's been around since, like, 1350, and it would originated in a French poem by William Langland. I looked it up once after reading A Christmas Carol, wondering where it might have come from and what it means. So, I like Charles Dickinson's take on it when he refers to it coming from a coffin nail, which he says was, quote, the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade. <laughs> I like that. I want to run, run with that. Okay, back to the movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, again... In watching this movie, you have to believe that Wallace Ritchie thinks he's a theater goer, and he has to think throughout this whole thing, yep. he's in this immersive theater experience. And the bad guys think he's a, a super spy. As Dickens put it, there is no doubt whatever about that. Yes. I, I know we're, I know we're hammering this point, yep. but if that doesn't happen, this movie doesn't work. But you know what? It's easy. I can believe that Wallace can run with that. After all, his brother James is the sophisticated one, the one with connections. And he set up Wallace for this evening event because he, James, was busy, as you said, entertaining important businessmen. And Wallace is a bit naive. <laughs> so you could believe that his brother James did not want him around the table with these important business people. So he sends him off on this this uh, immersion uh, theater thing which yeah, is great but so you're, I can you're saying it. yeah but you're saying james is sophisticated and i actually thought he was one of those i want to be an english sophisticate but i'm an american and don't know how to pull it off kind mm. of guys yeah you know he was he was so quirky and when when things start going bad for him it, it works in the movie but it's such an overreaction to some of it yeah um and it really was his wife barbara who i believe was british yes, yes who was yes. more sophisticated and she helps james pull James out of a mess yeah. during that dinner. Yeah, I I could I could see that. And, and he's, James is kind of riding on her coattails for the sophisticated part. But yeah, he's trying to play it off as, okay, I'm the guy who's connected and whatever, and I can't have my brother Wallace here screwing things up. So this is good. I, it's very believable little scenario, I think. All right. And, and one thing we don't, we haven't said yet is that you know, we've got this, why do they think he's a super spy? Well, he gets involved in a thing in the plot where he accidentally stumbles into a murder and a plot to try to blackmail somebody over some letters. So, but he, he doesn't realize that that's real. It just, that's what he thinks the plot of the play is because of how it plays out. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole movie turns on the point, on that point. He thinks he's going to immersion theater. Something gets screwed up, really. And all of a sudden, he's involved in this murder plot, this plan. And he doesn't really know exactly what's going on, like you said. He thinks and he, Yeah, and he thinks, he thinks he's got the role kind of a guy who's yeah. trying right. to fix the problem yeah. or to be the agent. Yeah. So right. it, it works. I mean, and I think there's really some really good subtle one-liners here that you need to pay attention to. There's a bunch of them, and some of them are said pretty softly. And so we don't really want to give much more of the plot away. If you haven't seen it, we don't want to ruin it for you because like, just remember you have to believe that both sides believe. Yeah. But we do want to give you 10 reasons to watch The Man Who Knew Too Little. Yeah. 
Yeah, the first reason to watch The Man Who Knew Too Little is Bill Murray. If you're a Bill Murray fan, this movie is definitely for you. He plays an American who is a blockbuster video employee named Wallace Ritchie. And there are some... Well, that sets, that sets the time a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That sets the time up a little bit. And it says a lot about his character because they're trying to play off. There's some lines about this blockbuster connection and him being in the movie business. So that's pretty cool. And his character grabs you at the very opening of the movie with how he talks with the passport control agent, who, by the way, who was played by Richard Cubison, who also played the Trade Center Toastmaster in the James Bond movie, The Living Daylights. <laughs> it's a funny scene, and there's some great dialogue that happens even when the camera isn't on the agent or Wallace. There's, it's yeah, just I, terrific. I think, yeah, I think it's a really funny scene, and it helps set us up for Wallace's character and personality, making him believe he's naive, makes it more believable for us. Absolutely. But he's not just naive. There's a little bit of, I'm an American. I think you're be I'm better than you. And I've got to see all this stuff that I hear about, about England, you know? And so some of his lines there are just are really funny in that scene. So this Wallace character is a very different character from Carl Spackler, <laughs> who Bill Murray played <laughs> yeah. in Caddyshack, yeah. one of my favorite all time <laughs> movies. Yeah, that's a great one. Now, now, don't He's get me wrong. Going. We He's love got Carl. That going for him. <laughs> you got that, which is nice. <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> but but this is a very different character. I mean, if you think about Bill Murray and his talents, he's he plays Wallace here. He plays Carl Spackler in Caddyshack, mm -hmm. Bob Harris in Lost in Translation, Frank Cross in Scrooged, and maybe Bob Wiley in What About Bob. You're going to see five very different character types that Murray can play. Yeah. And most of those are comedy roles, yeah. but not all of them. Yeah. And, and, so and he I was in Monument. Monuments yeah. too, and that was a more serious yeah. role. Really. Yeah. Here this was before he started trying to do more of the yeah. serious stuff, I think. And he plays this Wallace character really well, <laughs> and part of it is his deadpan humor works well for this plot where he's in a situation where he thinks he's involved in X but why is really happening. Yeah. And Bill Murray can control his facial expressions and facial suggestions, meaning that he tells so much with his face, like few others really can. I mean, terrific actors do that. Like Dalton, Timothy Dalton in the Bond movies was the best, I think, at that with his facial expressions, saying so much with his face. And Bill Murray has that skill as well. He's terrific. And he does a lot of his own stunts in this movie. He doesn't have to do any kind of Ethan Hunt type stuff. <laughs> He's not doing that. <laughs> but he does much of what we see on the screen, which is kind of cool. All right. Yeah, you know, every, everybody gives kudos to Tom Cruise for doing this. Here, back here, he Bill Murray's doing it again. Yeah. Not right. quite the same level of, of actions or stunts. No. All right, let's get to the second reason. This is because of some callbacks to earlier potentially non-spy movies and we're sure we missed a few but some yeah. of them that stood out for us were when he's talking to when wallace is talking to that passport control agent at the very beginning terrific he says it's not a very good picture i have a better picture he pulls out his wallet and it's a picture of carl spackler from <laughs> caddyshack <laughs> well, murray still so i thought that was that was pretty clever. brilliant i love it 
And then I, I and then when I, I'm watching this thing, and I and at the end, there's this waiter that gets called Venkman, and I almost fell out of my chair because that's a great callback to Ghostbusters because Murray's character in Ghostbusters was Doctor Peter Venkman. So <laughs> I, stuff. And I love those type of callbacks to his work. Yeah. And then there's some other things. I mean, there's a very obvious callback to the movie The Shining. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give that away, but yeah. when you see it, you will know it. Yeah. Um, same thing with Dirty Harry. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a callback there that is very very obvious. And then we get the use of the Mini Cooper for the car chase. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, if you remember, the Mini was used in the Italian Job in 1969, yeah. and then also in the remake. And we also see it in the Born Identity in tw- in 2002. And we're seeing it here in 1997. Yeah, the use of such a nondescript average car in a chase like this is it's special, really. It's like using the Citroën 2CV in For Your Eyes Only. It just makes the scene more interesting. By the way, Citroën, I think in, in French, means lemon. So there you go. Buy that car. <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay, so that gets us to the third reason to watch The Man Who Knew Too Little. And it's the supporting cast. And we've mentioned these names, but we want to talk a little bit about them. These actors play their parts very well. Mm-hmm. And they don't have as much to do in this movie because this movie is definitely about <laughs> Bill Murray's character. It, it's Wallace pivoting Ritchie. all around Bill Murray. <laughs> yes. But what happens in it, they do well. And we'll start with Peter Gallagher. I said he plays Wallace's brother, James. Mm-hmm. And he had to play this part big. Right, especially when he when the stuff starts hitting the fan, he goes a little. It's not over the top because it had to be played big, and he does that. Yeah, and yeah. he and so Peter Gallagher's acting there, I thought was really spot on. Mm-hmm. It's not a large role, but he definitely stands out. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought he was fantastic in this role and a perfect casting job. Really, I I, I don't you you can't look at that character and say I could have done this better or that better. He was perfect. Great. Yep. Then we got Joanne Wally who plays Lori. Now, this is an important role in the movie, but I don't think she has a lot of depth written into her character. She starts out and she seems to be on the bad side, but she seems to be won over by Wallace towards the end. Now, Wally plays Lori very well and brings out a charm in her that works well with the naive Wallace. Yeah. We just don't get to see her do too much. Yeah, there is a constant interplay of his naiveness and her being flabbergasted that he's still thinking this is immersive theater <laughs> that part is cool Well, she doesn't she doesn't know that he thinks it's immersive immersive theater he keeps making comments but i think they're going past her yeah i i thought so too i think yeah they are going past her but she's looking at this as as if there's some confusion there i think a little bit anyway whether she knows or doesn't know you're you may be right that she does not know that he is thinking that it's theater but she's flabbergasted at all of his actions because i guess she just can't figure it out and yeah he's not acting like a spy normally would be acting no they they play this off and play off each other very well doing this so that, that's pretty cool so then the next the next actor to talk about is alfred molina yeah who plays boris the butcher <laughs> boris the butcher and that's great. <laughs> this is this is a funny character because he's supposed to be a bad guy He's supposed to be really mean, yeah. right? hence the name The Butcher. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to be trying to be funny, but to me, he really is. In his career, he's really supposed to be a butcher, Yeah. but he's also a hitman, 
And I just love the wonderful way that Melina plays him. Boris sees this stuff that Wallace is doing and he's blown away by it. He's admiring Wallace and calling him a super spy. <laughs> Even though he's trying to kill Wallace, he's just blown away by how Wallace is reacting to things because it's not the way a spy would normally do it. Yeah. And I think that Molina plays this dichotomy of the, the hitman who's going after the guy, but then has so much respect for the guy at the same time. Yeah. I, it, I think that's tricky to do, and he does it really well. Yeah, and you have so many different characters who have to do that. And it's really done well. I mean, all every one of them plays that off pretty darn well. It, it's great. Yeah, so then finally, the last actor I want to talk about is Eddie Marsan. He plays a mugger, and this is one of his first movie roles. And he plays a lot of roles where he's kind of a thuggy kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he played Brownway in Mission Impossible 3. If any of you saw the movie The Disappearance of Alice Creed with Gemma Arterton, um, he plays one of the bad guys in that as well. He plays those kind of roles really well. And this is this is his like first or second movie role. He had done some TV stuff, but so it's good to see him on the on the big screen here at the beginning of his career. Yeah. All right, let's get to the fourth reason. And the fourth reason to watch The Man Who Knew Too Little is the Theater of Life, which is an immersion theater. This is a key plot point to the movie, as we said. Without it, the movie doesn't work. In immersion theater, the theater goer becomes part of the play. And I love the way they do this because, but immersive theater has been around for a while. But this movie came out in 1997, and the theater of life gives us this immersive theater experience that many people who have gone to the theater really aren't familiar with. So Wallace Ritchie's brother sends Wallace to this thing to keep him busy, as we said. Yeah. And probably the best known immersive theater is something called Punch Drunk in London. Mm-hmm. But they didn't start until around 2000. So for those of you in the Chicago area, you may have heard of Southern Gothic or a New Yorker may know Sleep No More. Mm-hmm. And those are theater experiences where you become part of the environment. It's not set up on a stage that you're watching. Like in Southern Gothic, you walk through a house and different scenes are happening as you walk through into the different rooms and the characters interact with you. Well, here, these characters are interacting, at least in Bill Murray's mind or Wallace Ritchie's mind, interacting with him. Yeah. So this is very different than what we see in Southern Gothic, but the concept of the theater going being part of the play becomes important. In fact, there's a line in the movie where there's a bunch of stuff happening and Wallace Ritchie says to Laurie, you guys can't be making a dime on this. Yeah. He's the <laughs> only he's lines. the only participant, right? <laughs> Everybody else is supposed to be actors, and it's a very elaborate. There's it, some great it, lines. Elaborate set. Yeah. And now Disney so, has its immersion theater too, with their Star Wars uh, deal that they have. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right. I've been and I've for been a lot of money. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been to it. It does um, cost now, a lot of money. <laughs> costs a lot of money. Yeah. Now, here in The Man Who Knew Too Little, the play starts with somebody getting a phone call in a phone booth. Wallace Ritchie is told, you're supposed to go to this 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 <laughs> phone booth. You're going to get a call. You remember phone booth, Stan? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and then there's supposed to be some action taken based on the phone call, and that's the start. And yeah. so that's where all of the bumbling starts because he takes the wrong phone call. Yeah. I love the whole setup of the immersion theater 
diversion thing. It's it's terrific. It is the basis of the entire story, but you can accept it working because primarily the of, of the way Bill Murray plays this character Wallace. He's just that good. So it's a very believable scenario. All right. The fifth reason to watch The Man Who Knew Too Little. Well, actually, 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 let me jump in on that. When you say because he's so good, part of the thing is to the script he's given because he drops little hints where he's telling the the bad people that he thinks he's in he's in a play yeah <laughs> and they don't catch it in part because either the way he says it or he may be saying something that ends up being spy code for something right. so they think yeah. he's saying something else yeah i think it's the second one i think it's that that they're thinking wait a minute this guy's this guy's that good <laughs> that, that he's trying to fool us with this stuff that's good all right the fifth reason to watch The Man Who Knew Too Little is the title sequence. Not pre-title. This is the title sequence. It jumps right into the titles, which plays a scene involving some matryoshka dolls. We've all seen those. Those are the ones that fit inside each other, the Russian dolls. There are some fun graphics added to the sequence, which show a guy implanting a bomb in one of the dolls. The nice thing is that some things in this sequence set up the ending of the movie. It tells an important part of the story. And I think it works really well. Great stuff. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. And I like the fact that they don't dwell on the dolls yeah, right. during most of the movie because it's the setup for the ending. Yeah. So I think that's kind of nice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's talk about the sixth reason to watch The Man Who Knew Too Little. And it's the gadgets. Well, okay. I should say gadget because there's really only one gadget. But it's a good one. And it looks like it came straight out of Cube Branch's labs. Okay. And it's this, it's it's a gold cigarette case. I don't want to give it away right now, but it has some spy functionality to it. Yeah. Yes. So this case does more than just hold cigarettes. Yes. And I thought, and I thought the look of it was somewhat reminiscent of the safe cracker gadget that James Bond uses in, in Moonraker. Okay. It has a different function here, but it felt familiar, and I, thus I thought worked really well. It really looked like it came out of something from Q Labs. Yeah, <laughs> and it's also important to know that it was the spy who had the gadget. Yeah, and Wallace just happened to find it. Yeah, his interaction with it is is terrific. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and but Wallace just kind of stumbles upon this yeah. thing. And it becomes a gadget that he ends up using later inadvertently. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. The seventh it's reason to watch really the man who knew too little is the game Kerplunk. Yeah. Two of the Russian bad guys are playing a game like Kerplunk, but with a version made specifically for the movie. It said that in the director's cut. So it's a funny scene with Wallace having sinus problems. Now, Wallace is kind of tied up in a chair. And he's having some sinus problems. Which, kind of tied up. He's tied up in a chair. Yeah, he's tied up in a chair. But Bill Murray having sinus, you can just see, his, again, his face here is tremendous. So they're playing this game Kerplunk, and each of them is so intent on trying to win this game. And Bill Murray's sitting there tied up, and he's he's having this issue with his nose. <laughs> this is really a funny scene. And again, maybe a callback to Home Alone, too. Kind of that. Well, when those guys fall over with the marbles. Yeah, funny stuff. So, And and I think it's really funny because this sinus problem thing that he has 
obviously Old Spice was not paying for this product endorsement <laughs> because he makes numerous comments throughout the movie about people wearing Old Spice yeah. when his sinuses act up. He's blaming Old Spice yeah. whenever his sinuses act up. Yeah. So that's not likely a product placement. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the, the nose thing, though. He, he's just, it, 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 only Bill Murray could pull that off with this nose problem he's having, and he might sneeze, he might, he might disrupt a game. It's all so well done here. And really just tremendous. Yeah, now the, direct, the in the director's commentary on it, he made the comment that there's a shot where they're putting some inhaler in Bill Murray's nose. And the director made the comment that when Bill Murray saw that scene, he was not too happy about how unflattering that shot was because yeah. you're pretty much it looking was. up his nose. It was unflattering. <laughs> That's for sure. But I think that worked. I think that worked from the comedy perspective. As a viewer, it was perfect, actually. For Bill Murray, yeah, absolutely. Oh, didn't like it. But all right. Okay, so now we're on to the eighth reason to watch The Man Who Knew Too Little. Yeah, if you don't have and enough yet, the, here we go. We got more. <laughs> the car chase and Wallace's interaction with the police. Now, to me, this might have been the movie's funniest scene because Wallace gets into a relatively benign car chase, again, driving the Mini, yeah. and he ends up talking with the police. And in that conversation, there are a ton of great lines that give you a bit of how Wallace is trying to act as a spy. He's behaving like he's a spy because he thinks he's, that's his part. May I step out of character for just one minute? I wish you would. And so he's making references to Aston Martins. It's not much of a car they've given you, though, is it? Oh, it's a piece of crap. I got an Aston Martin. Yeah. Had trouble with the service air missiles, yeah. so in the shop being licensed to kill the women there's the women though well they're nice after the torture a communicator device i mean all of this is just him trying to say hey i'm i'm trying to play james bond or whatever and to me it's a really clever scene i love how they shot the chase with it they do some pretty funny stuff with some traffic cones in this thing oh yeah yeah so for me this takes first place over what I think is the second funniest scene when Wallace and Laurie have to interact with a dead hitman. Yeah. So we like that scene too, but yeah. we think the interaction with the Bobbies wins, in our opinion, as the funniest scene. Yeah, both me. scenes are outstanding as spy stuff permeates both of them. But Bill Murray doing what he does best, transforming a situation that could be serious into a fantastic morphing to something that we cannot help but to be amused with. Terrific stuff and yeah, he those, is some the of, reason yep yeah absolutely some of those lines that he delivers he just <laughs> yeah. delivers so well yeah all right so let's get to the ninth reason to watch the man who knew too little and this is the russian dance scene near the end <laughs> now yes it's a bit kitschy yeah but i think it was an interesting twist from the man who knew too much because in the hitchcock movies the diplomat is going to be killed at the symphony or the orchestra or mm -hmm. with a cymbal crash. Mm -hmm. Well, in The Man Who Knew Too Little, it's a Russian dance sequence where the killing is supposed to occur. So at there's a, going to be some state, production that happens. At a state dinner kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was at a state dinner, and yeah. these performers are putting on a show for them. Yeah. For them. Now, Wallace has an important part in the dance sequence, of course, <laughs> all improvised you know, from Wallace's perspective. And John Emil said that he wasn't going for an Inspector Clouseau approach to this scene, 
but more he was trying to capture the spirit of the early Danny Kaye movies. Uh, the funny thing here is that that is underlying this entire movie is the callback that in the beginning when James said that he was setting up Wallace for this immersion theater, Wallace did not want to appear on stage because, like you said, he had issues with the lines and stuff before. Yeah, he, he right. couldn't remember his lines, but he doesn't have lines that. here. So here he has a major role in the performance of the Russian dancers and the dressing room scenes are are fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And and to, I love, to me, there's part of this is, feels like a callback to Octopussy okay. because – we said that at the beginning, there's a bomb planted in a set of Russian dolls. Mm-hmm. And the timer for the bomb is shown. And to me, it's not a Goldfinger kind of a feel. It feels to me more like the end of Octopussy. Okay. Yeah, now, yeah. maybe that's because we've got characters in costumes here because the bomb's hidden and people are enjoying a circus. Yeah. And here it's people are enjoying this Russian dance sequence. Mm-hmm. But they show the counter starting to count down, which adds to the excitement like it did in octopussy yeah yeah and finally our 10th reason to watch a man who knew too little is the closing scene that plays during the closing credits <laughs> this scene just ties up how utterly clueless wallace and the government agencies are the main story is over yet wallace thinks he's still acting and the government agency they don't say which one at the end still thinks he's a super spy so i I think the the whole movie is an attempt to undermine the intelligence agencies by spoofing their very name, intelligence, as all sides were clueless to figure him out. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely. <laughs> and to me, this closing this closing scene you're talking about, they're no longer in London. There, it's it's a totally different environment. Yet, wa- somehow, Wallace never found out what really happened, and he still thinks he's acting. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, and, it's just so ludicrous. I loved it. Yeah, and, uh, and only Bill Murray could pull that off. Terrific. All right, so as we said at the beginning of this episode, in watching this movie, you have to believe that Wallace Ritchie thinks he's a theater goer in an immersive theater experience and that the bad guys think he's a super spy. As Dickens put it, there's no doubt whatever about that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, and that's a wrap. These are the 10 reasons why we think you should watch the movie The Man Who Knew Too Little. This has been Dan and Tom from SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Please help us out and subscribe to our show through your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. 